this, this series has been unique. I've actually, can I, I can say this, that in my over 20 years of preaching, I've never done a series where I've asked you to help me preach. Um, and it's been really refreshing to get your ideas and your thought processes on some of the topics that you've been wanting to hear. Um, and this week, I've, I've been holding on to this topic in particular uh, ever since I kind of walked through the topics. And I was like, ooh, that's the one I want to end on. That's the one I want to end on. And so the, the questions that came through, and I, I took two questions and compiled them into one message. Uh, the first one was, how do we empower the church? What a great question. How do we empower the church? And the second one was how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this alone could be a full series in and of itself. I could do a full series and break it down, and maybe at some point we will do that. But I'm going to give you kind of the 50,000-foot flyover of this topic and kind of give you what God has shared with me about what it means to empower the church and, and tap into the Holy Spirit, especially as we transition into the fall season. You know, there is um, naturally... In, in the course of a year, there's two resets. Um, and, and, and especially if you have kids, there's two resets. There's January at the beginning of the year. Everybody, you know, gets their resolutions and, and breaks them within the first two weeks. And, and then, you know, but, they, but it's a good reset. It's a, oh, it's a fresh year. If you've had a bad year, your mind is, is mentally saying it's time to reset. The other one is about August, September area. Because we're, although it's still hot like Hades, um, it's, it's, we're technically moving into the fall season. And if you live in my house, that was like a week and a half ago when my wife started decorating, okay? Um, and so, you know, seriously, like, it, it becomes August, and she's like, pumpkins must come out. And then she got really crafty this last Sunday. I take naps on Sunday, amen? It's what the godly people do. My wife um, got all, I don't know, she went to crafting. She broke her hot glue gun and everything. I mean, she went to town, um, and she made all sorts of fun stuff. And I came back, and it was orange and browns and yellows everywhere uh, and pumpkins galore. Uh, and then she gets really excited because if you're anything like her, how many are already counting down the days to, like, where you could put a tree up? Oh, <laughs> April just, like, grinned from ear to ear. Um, I dread it because my wife has a hundred trees that I have to get out. So I, I think she has collected more trees than anything I can imagine. I told her when we first moved here, we had less than a hundred Christmas trees, which sounds stupid, right? That sounds dumb already. But now listen, I count every little tree that she has. Okay. So that's why. So don't like, don't come to my house and expect a forest. But since we've been here, every room has a tree, like a tree, like a legit tree. I'm like, seriously, we've got to stop. No, it shouldn't. Um, so, so Christmas, we're going to have a, a, a life group called Christmas Anonymous. And for all of you that need to like, you know, help yourselves get away from mass decorating, we will, we will help you figure out why that, you, you know, the impulse is there. So, uh, my wife won't lead it because she'll need to sit in on it. So, but she loves decorating. She got all excited about it. Right. Uh, but it's, it's a natural, it's a natural season changer. And so it's a really good time to refresh and ask, is what we are doing as a church being purposeful to the community and the people that we live around? Um, I want to give you the definition of empower. The, the definition from Marion Webster says this, to give official authority or legal power to, or to promote the influence of. So, so when we talk about what does it mean to empower the church, we're saying, how, how do we give authority, kingdom authority, 
to the church? How do we promote the influence of godly biblical character and kingdom culture to the world around us? So what does it mean to empower the church to to look a certain way? Does it mean to be popular, to be perfect, to be busy, to have all the Instagram fame and uh, notarization? Or is it simply this, to carry the purpose of God with you? To to carry the authority of God in your life? I think the, the thing that we lack is we love the authority of God inside the church, but we lack the authority of God in our private life. I want God to speak to me inside the church. I want his word to to come, and I want a pastor that can speak the truth. I I think it's really sad, and I've heard this statement more than not. And listen, I've got to be careful what I say because it's it's not a knock to any other pastor, but it's sad when the encouragement from some people is, is, man, I feel like I really get fed the truth here. I feel like every church should have the boldness to speak the truth of God in a loving and caring way where you walk out encouraged, equipped, challenged, and changed. And you can be encouraged, and challenged at the same time, okay? You can be equipped and be corrected. And so, so we, we, are, we want a place of authority in the church, but more importantly, I want the authority of God in your life out there. I want the presence of God everywhere I go, not just inside of a building on Sunday morning. If you've never heard of the guy Tommy Tenney, I want to introduce you to him. He is a uh, fantastic author. He, he has written some of my favorite books. Uh, the God Chasers being one of them. God's Favorite House is another. Uh, and, and God Chasers is a phenomenal book. And I love, 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 love this book. But he says this in the book. He says, it is time for God's people to get desperately hungry after him. Because the fires of revival must first ignite the church before its flames can spread to the streets. I love that. God, we want revival. And it's not calling a service revival and hoping that something breaks out. Revival is a desperate people that are hungry for him. Revival never breaks out just because we schedule it. Can I tell you that? Like despite how much the South has tried through its churches... (laughs) um, You know, to call something a revival and then just have five services. And then, and then, and then what happens? Normal. Back to the, back to the normal day of life. We, 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 oh, it was really great. We had some guest speaker or some worship team or whatever, whatever, whatever. Revival breaks out when people are hungry. Revival breaks out when there's a desperation for something to change. Sean talked about it last week when he talked about Jacob. Jacob had everything. He was rich beyond belief. He had a lot of wives. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I know it's not biblical. He really walked outside of the, the, the lane of God there, but, and, and he reaped the, uh, the repercussions of it. But he had, he had this massive family. He had a whole bunch of stuff. Now, they goats and camels and cows and all that, but it would million, he'd have been like a millionaire back then. So he didn't need anything. But the Bible says that he wrestled with God, not out of his need for stuff, but out of his need for him. He was desperate for a change in his life. And that matter of fact, that's what he says. He, he tells the man of God, he tells the son of God who he's literally wrestling with God himself, and he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. We see blessing as finances because that's how we've been trained to think of our brain. But he already had all that. So what did he need? He needed a change in his life. He was known as a liar. He was known as somebody who, who constantly screwed up things, who constantly finangled things for his benefit. And he said, if I leave here the same, I'm going to die. 
I will not let go of you until you change something inside of me, until you wash me clean, until you make me new. And God looks at him and says, no longer will you be Jacob, but now you will be Israel. He changed his name and changed his purpose. Why? Out of a desperation for him. Hunger breeds action. What if I told you that empowering the church had little to do with me as the pastor? That that I'm just the, and and not in a braggadocious way, but I'm just the, the, the icing on the cupcake in that sense of the purpose of God in your life. As your pastor, as your leader, my messages cannot be the end-all, be-all. If you're getting fed solely off of a message, you are starving yourself. It's like trying to eat at a buffet once a week and think it's going to take you through the whole week. But, but I eat a lot. Yeah. But it's not, you're going to feel over, listen, you're going to feel bloated one day and starving the next You're going to walk out feeling God's presence because your spirit longs for it. But by Wednesday, you're going to be in a drought because you're not feeding yourself. We go to church and we think that the hype and and, and an excited pastor and and, and somebody who can speak fluent and well and all that good stuff, it's important. I enjoy what I do. I've done it for over 20 years. But I know, like, I don't, I, don't think of, I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to. I know where my messages sit or where they should sit in the life of a believer. They should be there to encourage, equip, challenge, and change where you're already at in your faith walk. So the question is, what does our Monday through Saturday look like? Because that's where hunger relies on being empowered. The process, the systems, and more, uh, it, it literally has to do with the individual and less of the body of Christ when it comes to empowering the church. We cannot be an empowered church unless we are first an empowered people. It's, it's like hoping that that one stud on the football team carries the team. We know that's not true. Or the really good hitter carries the, uh, the baseball team. If you, if you know anything about baseball, especially in Little League, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll stack the top end of the lineup with the good hitters. And then the, the bottom of the lineup, a lot of these uh, teams will end up putting like the, 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 the less, you know, talented hitters. You know what I hate about that process is? You'll never get through that bottom of the lineup because you'll always get outs. Anytime I coach baseball, I try to sprinkle the good hitters throughout the whole lineup because I know that, hey, this kid may not be a strong hitter, but I know that he's going to be followed up by somebody who's got his back. And when we are an empowered church, we know that we're all walking in different levels of faith life and we're able to have each other's back. Hey, I've been there before. Come on, let's link arms. Hey, you're walking through it. You're walking through a really tough season right now. Let me link arms with you. Let me give you a lifeline. Let me give you a group to be a part of so that you're not doing this alone, so that you don't feel desperate and and feel just absolutely out of control. The enemy gets us away from that and says, ah, it's not about you, it's about them. No, it's about both. The church, the body is there to empower the individual to walk in godliness and empower and strength. But the empowered church, a church that is moving in his authority is because the individual's are moving in his authority. So Ephesians 3, 14 through uh, 19 says this. This is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. 
Now look, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Empowering the church means that we constantly teach people how to get into the private moments of Jesus in their own personal life. It's, it's encouraging you to say, hey, look, don't do this alone. Don't do this all by yourself. Get in a life group. Get, get connected with people. Pray, not just on Sundays, not just over your food, but pray constantly. That's what Paul teaches us, right, in the New Testament, that, that we continually pray at our workplaces. You don't have to, listen, can I tell you, you don't have to close your eyes and get on your knees to pray. Like, where this idea came from, that, like, in order to be reverent and holy, we must, like, you know, the, the precious moments doll, you know what, you know, you ladies know, okay. When I was young, I had to, do, I had to take a tour of the precious moments museum in Minnesota. By the way, that was not my doing. That was my, I went on a, a, a trip with my grandparents and they thought that that was going to be a cool thing to take a little boy to. I'm not sure why. I know actually why. It was because my grandma loved that stuff. Um, that had nothing to do with me. But, you know, we have this idea of what good prayers look like. Can I tell you that good prayers are desperate prayers? They're the raw, uncut, I'm going to tell you like it is, Jesus, because I'm just, I need you. It's not this, I think the reason why we're, and, and can I tell you, it's the biggest, one of the biggest ploys of the enemy is to silence you in your prayer life, both privately and corporately. Oh, pastor, you, you speak well, you can pray. Can I tell you, I get tired of hearing myself pray for the church. I want other voices to rise up my wife said it this way a long time ago in a prayer gathering in California. She said, I am tired of praying your prayers for you. The, the, the God of the universe wants to hear your voice too. The enemy says, oh, you, you'll sound like a fool. Then sound like a fool, but do it with purpose and passion. Stutter through it. I don't care. But out of the, the desperation of our soul, we speak to the glory of God. And that's what Ephesians says. It says, listen, I pray that the glorious unlimited resources of our Father. So, how, do, how does the empowerment of God come? And I've got three thoughts on this this morning of that with the Holy Spirit. It says, you've got to go all in. You've got to go all in. You've got to lay your cards on the table, and you've got to decide whether you are going to be a follower of Christ or you're just going to show up at church on Sunday. Those are two different things. Curl your toes if you don't want to get them stepped on. It's okay. Encourage, equip, challenge, and change, right? Okay, so, so it's the reality. Going to church doesn't make you a good follower. It may be the, the starting process. Now, listen, here's the thing. I'm not asking you to go from Z to A, okay? I'm saying if you're at A and you're showing up at church, take a step. Take a step in the process. Don't sit where you're at. Let's, let's learn how to, what is going all in? It's not A to Z. It's A to B. I'm going all into the next step. I'm not holding back. I'm not standing back. What, verse 16 in Ephesians. I pray that his glorious unlimited resources will what? Empower you. 
with inner strength through his spirit. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. God, God, I want to be close to you. And God stands on the other side and he's like, okay, take a step. You know, that, that, that moment, and, and, and you guys can either lie, you gentlemen, I should say, you gentlemen can, can lie to yourselves. I won't. I was really young and dumb when I asked my wife to, uh, to go out on that first uh, date. It's nerve-wracking. You play that in your head five different ways from Sunday. And almost all the time in my head, it ended with rejection. <laughs> you know? she's gonna, Why would she say yes? And we work it up to where we won't do it. And so, so many times we say, God goes, go all in. And you go, but what if I, what if? And the enemy loves what if because what if will keep you from stepping into what is. His unlimited resources. He wants to empower you through his spirit, not through your personal capabilities, not through your giftings, not through what you can do. He says, it's not even about you. It's not your resources or your talents. He says, it's his glory and his unlimited resources that he wants to empower you from but he's waiting for you to pursue him. He's there. He's like waiting. He's standing. Wait, look, revelations, um, before we get to that revelations, there's a, there, uh, in the same chapter, Revelation 3, uh, it says that though I stand at the door and knock, God is a gentleman. He stands at the door and he knocks at our heart and he says, are you ready to pursue I'm here. I'm just, I'm on the other side of the door. All you have to do is open it. All you have to do is pursue me. You, you don't have to come clean. You don't have to come perfect. You don't have to have it all together. Matter of fact, Jesus loves messy. Like we go, well, I'll come to Jesus when I've got it all together. Bull. No, you won't. You will never come to Jesus having it all together because you can't do it. Even as clean as you think you can come, God goes, that's pretty dirty but I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad you came. I'm glad that you finally opened the door and decided that you're done trying to do it on your own. I'm here. Let's go. And now listen, it's not all roses and sunshines because he has to work out things in you. And that hurts. You know, when you go to the doctor and they tell you you need to change some lifestyle choices, that's why I don't go to doctors. They can't tell you what you're not willing to hear. I know I'm fat. I know my body mass index is way above healthy, okay? And I know I hide it well, but look, I'm a little oompa loompa. I am. Listen, that's what I should dress up for Halloween. <laughs> All I heard was nose. Um, I'm going to be on the trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat on the trace. Oompa loompa doompa dee doo. I've got a church that you can go to. Um <laughs> They only let me out certain days, okay? Um, <laughs> listen, you have to make a decision, and I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about followership. Salvation is free. The Bible says all who come to him will receive salvation. Discipleship is a completely different story. That's a choice that you make to follow. I want to sit underneath your teachings, Jesus, and I want to look like you. 
Revelation 3, 15 through 16, this is, this is a, a super encouraging word from God. Um, he's speaking to the church, by the way. I think it's so funny when we speak into this and we speak a uh, evangelistic type of message on this. He is speaking to the church in this, in this uh, set of scriptures. He says, I know all the things you do. That should scare you to death. <laughs> Does me. That you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's not so encouraging. But it really is if you look at it. Think about it. How many like hot coffee? I, I raised my hand out of generics. I don't like coffee really all that much. How many like iced coffee? How many like coffee that's been sitting out for five hours and it's neither hot nor cold? You guys are weird, okay? You got, that's called an addiction. You actually don't like anything. You're just addicted to it, okay? The reality is, no, I mean, it, you like hot tea or you like cold tea. Nobody, I mean, just to drink room temperature tea just sounds weird to me, right? You know? It's, it, listen, I want it either ice cold and refreshing or I want it warm so it can, like, you know, loosen my throat up. This in between, this middle ground, and this is where, this is why the church in general does not have empowerment and why people don't show up is because we're bored with church because we're sitting in the middle. We're not hot. We're not excited. We're not, we're not on fire for Jesus. And we're, we're, we're not cold. Like you're not like, you don't hate Jesus. You're just sitting here and you're like, let's go through the motions. Yay. That's why we don't go to life groups because it's just another thing to do, pastor. You're right. It is another thing to do. But maybe it's the group of people that you need in the moment that you need them. And maybe it has nothing to do with what you're doing, but the people you're doing it with. This is a rebuke a rebuke of the church. It has nothing to do with the non-Christian. This scripture is everything to do with the church and has nothing to do. When we read this to non-Christian, non-followers of Jesus... It means nothing to them. They are the cold. Speaking to the church and he's saying, listen, either be hot or cold, but this lukewarm thing, it, it, is, it is like lukewarm coffee and I bleh, spit it out of my mouth. You can't sit in neutral. Being all in doesn't mean that you go crazy and that you are this uncontrollable Christian. It means that where I'm at, my next step, I'm going to go all into that next step. And when we say all in, we think that it has to be drastic, right? If you've ever played poker, you have, you know, a little bit of chips in, and now I'm taking it all in. And, and, and we go, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not there yet. But what if I change that whole viewpoint and I said all in just means that your next step, you're not looking for a way back. You're just constantly looking for a way forward. So maybe, maybe your step is I'm going to church. Great. Okay, maybe the next step is let's talk about a personal relationship with Jesus that is discipling you Monday through Sunday. Okay, I want you to spend 10 minutes in devotion every single day, mixing in Bible reading and prayer. 10 minutes. I'm not asking for two hours. I think pastors that get up there and like, spend an hour with Jesus. If you spent no minutes with Jesus every day, an hour is a long time. You'll start praying your shopping list. <laughs> okay. Dear Jesus, we need a cheeseburger, so I need some buns and some meat. Like, like you won't know what to, how to fill that time. So I'm telling you, spend 10 minutes with him. 
Get on, on your phone, get the Version app, and get in a, 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 a one of their devotions. Literally can take you five to six minutes, and that could be enough Jesus that day that gets you through to the next step. Get the Right Now Media app that we give to you for free and watch some of the videos and the Bible studies that we present for you for free. We make it really, really easy. It's a discipline. It's a muscle. It's a focus to pursue God in your life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition into a story about Elijah, and um, it's going to kind of go over the next few points. But in 1 first, in first Kings, we meet Elijah and Elisha. God is really confusing about things. Why, why it couldn't be like Elijah and John? But no, they have to be like super close in name, right? So you got Elijah and you got Elisha. And this is when Elijah meets Elisha. Elijah is a prophet of God, and he's about to call Elisha to that lifestyle. And it says, so Elisha went and found Elisha, son of Saphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the, oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulder and then walked away. What a calling. Like, you don't know this dude from Adam, right? And, and I'm glad that you have your jacket off, right? So, you know, it's, it's how are you wearing this? This is stupid. You've got to be hot. Um, good grief. You're like wearing like a winter coat. Um, anyways, uh, sidetrack, squirrels playing ping pong. Okay, so... Elijah's walking. He knows exactly who he's about to go call. He's walking to Elijah, who is just doing his do daily duties in uh, plowing the ox, or plowing the field with ox. And Elijah doesn't go up and say, hey, what's up? My name's Elijah. I'm a prophet of God. Matter of fact, I know your name. Your name's Elisha, and I'm calling you into the ministry. Let's go. All he does is take his cloak, his outer garment, and throw it over Elisha and walk away. That's it. And somehow Elisha is supposed to know what that means. And so we see this, uh, went over, threw his cloak across his shoulder, and then he walks away, right? And then what does it say? It says that Elijah left the ox standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, look, he has not invited him into anything. All he did was throw his jacket over him, and Elijah, Elisha runs to Elijah and says, first let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Now, we have to understand culturally that there was an understanding of what it meant to follow a prophet, and so that was a natural thing. But for us, that would seem weird. He doesn't know really much about Elijah. He probably heard of him. But he's being invited into this. And he says, first, let me go kiss my mom and dad goodbye. Sounds like a, a normal thing to do, right? Hey, I'm going to go tell my dad that I'm going to leave the field that we're plowing. Look what, look what Elijah tells him. Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. In other words, he's saying, if you go backwards, you're going to miss what I'm calling you to. If you hit the reverse, you're going to miss where God is wanting to take you. Oh, but God, I want to move forward, but my past, you don't know how hard it was. I want to move forward, but, but what, about, what about my family, God? What will they think about me? And Elijah tells Elijah, go do what you got to do, but remember what I've done. So listen, so Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. 
He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. When Elijah told him, go what you have to do, but your past will never be able to produce a future for you, a light switch in Elijah's mind came on, and he said, I will not allow myself to have a plan B in life. So he goes, and he kills the thing that produced finances for him. And he put it as an offering to God and he fed the townspeople and he left pursuing the will of God. He went all in. You need to serve or you need to sever your relationship with the old so that there is no plan B. How many have ever heard the saying that if, there, if, you, if you create an exit strategy at some point you will take it? You will. And so in life, when we say, okay, I'm going to follow God, but I've always got this, this way out. When it gets hard, I'm just going to stop going to church. I'll, I'll stop answering the text messages from people that, hey, I miss you. I'll make up excuses why I, I haven't been around. And the enemy says, yeah, just go back to your normal life. Go back to your normal day-to-day life. Nothing's changed. And God says, but you don't know what was on the other side. If Elijah wouldn't have taken his steps with Elijah, he would have never been the next man of God that was used in power and might. And so it's, it's that going all in. And it's not, like I said, I want you to hear this. It's not this psychotic, crazy Christianity that, that goes and beats down the doors and it has to be nuts. It's, it's literally saying, where I'm at, I'm going to go all into the next step. And then when God produces things in me, then I'm going to take that next step and I'm going to go, every time I move forward, I'm going all in with where God has me there. So you've got to go all in. The second thought from that is you've got to show up. If we continue with Elijah and Elisha, you see at the end of their time together. So, so now you've got to fast forward a whole lot of life, right? And we're at the end of Elijah's life. And if you read in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, throughout that whole chapter, uh, he knows that God's calling him home, heaven. And he keeps telling Elisha not to follow him. I've got to go to Bethel. You stay here. Elijah's like, no, nah, I've been following you for long enough. I'm not stopping. And if you look at it, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. And so they went down together to Bethel. Now this happens two more times. They get uh, to Bethel and he says, you stay here. God has called me to go to Jericho. And he says the same thing. Listen, as long as I've lived, I'm going to follow you. And all the other prophets of the region are coming out and going, hey, do you know God's going to take your, your buddy home today? He says, yeah, I know, but shut up. I'm continuing to follow him. And they get to Jericho and he says, okay, listen, you've got to stay here. I've got to go to Jordan. He goes, yeah, whatever. I'm still going to follow you. He's like that annoying younger brother that just like has to be everywhere, right? No amens, Okay. Because uh, I'm both a younger and an older brother, so no amens. Okay, but he gets the to the he gets to Jordan and and finally he, he just persistent. I'm gonna show up. I may not even I'm not even supposed to be here, but I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna be persistent in my walk. I'm gonna be persistent in my faith. And, and even if I don't understand it, I'm gonna show 
up. I'm not going to let the enemy to keep me quiet and to keep me bound to my old life and to who I was. I'm going to keep showing up. And so we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. This is what happens. When they came to the other side of the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. What if he would have stopped at Bethel? What if he would have stopped at Jericho? What if he would have stopped on the other side of the Jericho and watched the glory of God take him up, but didn't get to the place where he got to ask for the blessing? This is why the church isn't empowered. We get to a certain point, and then we just stop, and we go, ooh, that looks cool. We'll watch other pastors and other churches online and go, I want to be in the room. Hamilton's one of our favorite, uh, don't judge me for saying plays because I know, but I love Hamilton. Like I could watch that movie play on Disney Plus every day, except for the fact that it's like three hours long. Um, and I've seen it live in person, okay, as well. And, and, and it's amazing. Now listen, is it completely historical accurate? Come on, no, we know that, okay? Um, but there's a song that they do that says, uh, I want to be in the room where it happens. The power behind those lines is so many times we're being told, stay here, stay here. Don't, don't move forward. Don't get closer to God. It'll ruin your life. Oh, God isn't real. Oh, God isn't this. Oh, God isn't that. And literally, our spirit is saying, no, I need to be in the room where God's spirit is happening. I need to be in the room that is producing faith miracles and faith moments in my life that are going to charge me up for the next valley that I may go into, the next struggle that I'm going to walk through because I know that when, when God shows himself real, I can walk through the bad times because I know that I'm going to get to the place where God shows up again. I want to be in the room. And that's all Elijah said. He didn't bring something. To, it wasn't like Elijah showed up and was like, oh, yeah, I'm super talented, Elijah. You should take me with you. God himself was literally coming down to take Elijah away. Elijah has nothing to provide to this, this scenario. He literally just wants to be tagging along to see it and to be in the room when it happens, to be able to say, I was there when. And then Elijah looks back at him and says, what can I give you as my final parting gift to you, my son? I want a double portion of the spirit that made you live. We need to show up. Joshua showed up at the temple when nobody else was around and he would linger when Moses would go in. The disciples would show up and stick around when everybody else left them. When Jesus would say something really tough and they would go, ooh, that sounds horrible. I gotta go. Because Jesus would say stupid stuff. Love for me must look like hate for your mom and dad. These were not like deep thoughts in the middle of a conversation with the disciples. This was, I just met you and this is what it means to follow me. It's like Jesus would walk into Camden and gather people and he'd go, love for me, for God the Father. He didn't say love for me, but he would say love for the Father looks like hate in a comparative sense to everybody else. That's why when we look at that scripture and he says, does Jesus really call us to hate? No. But what he's saying is that as much as I love my mom and dad, that love fails in comparison to the love of God. Could you imagine that's your opening statement to people? This is who Jesus, he was controversial. 
And so when, 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 G, when the disciples, when people are like, ooh, I'm out, that seems too tough, and the disciples are like, I'm in. It's because they were willing. They, they didn't bring anything to the table. They were just willing to show up. Miracles follow moments in God's presence. Moses refused to leave and demanded to see God. Right? On the mountain. How bold are you to, to look at God in the face and say, well, he didn't, couldn't look at him in his face. But he looked at God and said, I will not leave here till I see you. And God looks at Moses and says, no man can see me and live. But here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the rock and I'll run past you. And just the backside of my presence is going to be enough to change the rest of your life. Why? Moses showed up. We have to show up in our relationship with God. We can't just punch the clock. Oh, I'm a good Christian. Bull. You got to show up. You got to be a follower. You got to be, be willing to show up when, when you're tired and, and read the devotion and show up and pray. You got to show up and, and spend time developing spiritual and, and biblical characters, values, and morals so that the culture of the world doesn't get you to believe the lies. You have to show up in your prayer time, your devotion time, your finances, the life groups. You have to show up. Church has to be a priority. And I know as a pastor that sounds like, duh, um, I want people here. But no, I could, you know, listen, if, if there's two people here, I'm going to preach to two people. My calling is not dependent upon a, a full room. My calling is dependent upon the God who has called me. But church, if it is not important, will become something that we can easily get rid of, which means that we will easily get rid of daily disciplines, which means we will easily get rid of our faith walk. People encourage one another to challenge ourselves to live in God's purpose. Fasting and, and worship. You have to show up privately before it will ever matter publicly. We can't ask for God to empower the church if we, the church, are not empowered individually through Christ. You have to show up in fellowship, be patient in your pursuit of him, persistent and purposeful and passionate in your relationship with him. Does it mean that you're always on cloud nine? No. Matter of fact, most times they're not. You're going to have the, the, the normal ups and downs of life. You're going to go through where it's just kind of checking in because you're doing all that you can to survive. So you've got to show up. In your fellowship, you got to show up in your persistence, purposeful and passionate uh, pursuit of God. It's got to be holiness over hype. It can't just be, I want to show up to the cool events and the, the fun things, and, and I'm going to show up to church because it's the easy thing to do. It's got to it's gotta be something that drives you, that, that, that creates in you God's heart for him, to live for him, to, to show up in your everyday life, to refuse to bow to what everybody else thinks, what everybody else is doing, and to allow your spirit to connect with God, that it's holiness. It's God, what do you want? It's what does your word say? It's what does your will want? It is holiness over the hype. It's not, I'm just going to go to church and get excited. I want the emotional side, but I want the holiness of God to create a standard in me. So after you have gone all in, that whatever my next step is, whatever my next plan is from God, I'm going to go all in on it. I'm going to show up. I'm not just going to go through the motions. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be a part of everything that God is doing. 
then the last thing you got to do is you got to live it out. And this is where we talk about how does the Holy Spirit play a role in our life? It's, it's what we do privately that will produce publicly. And we cannot expect God to just show up on a Sunday morning and, and do his thing if we are not getting with him in a private setting, in a private matter, if our daily life isn't asking for the Holy Spirit and the presence of God to come and fill our lives with his purpose, with his will, with his plan for us. In the book of Acts, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, Jesus is speaking to them and, and, and to the disciples, and he says this. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Jesus commanded to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? You know, let's pause right there. It's, you know, this isn't a, a new thought process, this idea that, that uh, our nation is great and our nation is God-centered and, and, and God uh, bless America. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were thinking the same thing back in Jesus' day. Are, are you, have you come to restore the kingdom of Israel, to free the Israelites from their oppressors? And, and, and can, can you see that, that here they are, and they're thinking political, and they're thinking military, and Jesus flipped the script, and he says, he replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the disciples were worried about a nation, and Jesus is worried about you. We're over here worried about whether our nation is a godly nation, whether our politics is a godly politics. And, and Jesus is saying, I am not about building my kingdom here on earth uh, in, in, a, in a national political way. I am here to build my kingdom on earth through you and the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. He told them to privately gather to be empowered and receive the Holy Spirit in life. They said, go away, get together, and, and let the Holy Spirit come and breathe life into you. The Holy Spirit, we, we have to understand that uh, there, there's, this, there's this aspect of waiting privately and asking the Holy Spirit to do things in us that only he can do. They went and they, went, they sat privately and they waited and they prayed and they, they were in one accord and, and they waited for the Holy Spirit to move in their life. We have to get through this idea that the Holy Spirit is a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. He is not a thing. He is not a magic trick. He doesn't produce the spooky, weird things of God. He is so misused and so misrepresented in the modern-day church. He carries the very nature and presence of God into the believer's life, giving them power to live life through the power of God with the purpose of God for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is not about just speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit isn't about making these really cool moments in church. Uh, matter of fact, if you look through church history, the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit was never about what happened inside of the building, but what he was empowering his believers, his followers, to do outside of the church house and in the community that they live in. Holy Spirit enacts the gifts of God in the moments we need them. And it's not just one. We don't, the, the, the speaking in tongues is not the main thing like a lot of churches preach, but the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts that we need in the moment we need them. 
whether it's boldness, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's praying or teaching, whether it's holiness, whether it's uh, the power of God to, to move through a scenario, whether it's the patience of God. The Holy Spirit enacts the gifts of God in the followers of God for the moment that glorifies God. We've got to stop thinking that the Holy Spirit is a, is a sideshow to make the church look cool, unique, or a freak. The Holy Spirit is there as a, as a person of the Godhead to empower our lives to reach people for the kingdom of God and to give the world around us the evidence of the glory of God. We are called not to show up to church and show out, but to leave the building and to show God off to the world. That is who and what the Holy Spirit is for. No gift is more important than the other, but it's all for the glory of the God who gives us these gifts to draw others to him. When we read in the book of Acts and, and the book of Romans, these, these first setups of the new church, you see the Holy Spirit always empowering the believer to be a witness, not empowering the believer to go to church and do something really cool or go and show off uh, his new gift in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there to enact the power of God through the follower of God for the purpose of drawing people to him. We go all in and show up so we can live out the life that God has called us. Acts 4.13 uh, says this. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says, the council members were astonished. This is the religious leaders of their time. Were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. They've never been to Bible college. They've never been to seminary. They've never sat underneath uh, the latest and greatest pastor of the time. They, they were just normal people. It says, then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Empowerment comes with personal time with Jesus. You cannot have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit if you are neglecting the time with God the Father, his son Jesus. And the whole reason the Holy Spirit came was to be a helper for us on behalf of the heavenlies that we would live out the kingdom culture and the kingdom purpose of God. I choose to live it out. I let the world know my story and in your story matters and it can change somebody's eternity. The Bible says that our story and, and, the, and, and his glory work hand in hand to reach people for the gospel. I'm going to end with this uh, quote from Joel Houston, who is one of the singers and, and main guys of Hillsong United, a band that we use their songs here in church. And they created a documentary uh, quite a few years back, uh, kind of going through what they've gone through in, in traveling and touring and, and doing worship, but also ministering in all these different places. And he says this, if what is happening within the four walls of the church is having no effect on the streets we are traveling down to get there, then maybe we're missing the point. If what we do inside this church, what we do here at Freedom, doesn't impact the community of Camden, then what are we doing? The Holy Spirit can only show up inside the four walls. How are we ever going to reach people for the kingdom? To let them know there's a hope and a future. To let them know that, that this is a place where they can find freedom from their past and freedom 
to, to, to find a purpose in God through their life. We need to go all in, whatever that next step is. We need to show up just like Elijah and Elisha. We need to show up just like Joshua with Moses. We need to show up and then we need to live it out. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and live through us. First Wednesday, we're going to focus on the, the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives independently, privately, and what it looks like corporately. And I hope that you join us as we dive into that. So I hope that today we've gained an, a knowledge of it's not going all in like I've got to go from wherever I am to 100%. But I've got to go all in with whatever the next step is that God has for me. And I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up when it's hard. I'm going to show up in my faith walk when it's, when, when it's tough. I'm going to show up for God when nobody else will. I'm going to show up in my life. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to be empowered in my life. That every day I wake up, I ask the Holy Spirit to use me, to encourage me, to equip me, to challenge me, and to change me so that I can live it out in the world around me. Whether it's at my workplace, my friend group, my family group, whether it's at Walmart or whether it's on vacation, wherever I go, that I would be empowered with the Holy Spirit to show off God's kingdom culture. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you so much, God, that we have uh, ended this series with such a powerful, powerful moment and topic of empowering the church and, and using the, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to live in us and live through us. The God that many in here who have raised their hands to say, I want to live in boldness. I want to live in the purpose and plan of God. I want the Holy Spirit to use me in ways that are outside of the church walls that will impact my community. God, I pray that this week that you would do that. God, give us opportunity to see your will, to hear your voice, and to make a difference in our community. God, bless each and every person as they leave. But more importantly, God, help us to be a blessing where we go and that we would carry your boldness and your power, and your presence with us into that life. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory and honor in your name we pray. Amen.